Well, you've already turned your Bible to the second in this series of messages on generations. It's a new theme as we've talked about, and I want to just kind of give a little bit of background about that before we dive into my favorite book of the Bible, which is the book of Philippians. I've always wondered why that's my favorite. I th probably thought it was written about me when I was a little boy because my real name is Philip, spelled with one L, if you can imagine that. But um, anyway, I just want to remind you, every year that we've been in church for about 20 years now, we've always had a theme for the year, and those themes have been really... A, all in company. I tried to even think back of some of the ones a long, long, long time ago, but I remember one time, again, it was taking it to the streets, the idea of going out and evangelizing. We talked about being the year of the disciple, the year of the friend. A few years ago, we talked about finishing well. It's always been a theme like that, and I won't go into all the details I talked about last week that led me over about a six-month period of time to determine that a theme that God has put on my heart, not as just a theme for the next year, but I really believe as long as you'll allow me to be your pastor, it's going to be the theme of my heart. And I commit myself to do everything in my power to carry that out, and I would ask you to come along for that journey. We'll talk about other things and preach about other things and maybe have some other themes along the way, but may the DNA of our church be to be a church that pours into the next generation but also concerns itself with every generation. And we talked about that a little bit last week, as you remember. The first thing we talked about, if we're going to be a church that really does endure through the, the hardships that I think are coming for the church, I think it's already getting that way, but I think it's going to get worse. I'm not here to just discourage you in any way, but the Bible told us that the world's going to hate us because we love Jesus. And I think as the darkness goes even further down, the light is going to shine. Even a, even a candle is bright in darkness. And I think that we're going to go in through some tough times. I really believe that. We preached a whole series of sermons about what's going to happen in the end times. And I think we're living in those days. And so I don't look forward to, I pray every day. I'm not saying that you should get up and pray every day. Thank you, God, that things are getting worse. But you need to know this. If we're going to endure to the very end, we need to build something within us that's long-lasting and enduring for that. We're seeing a falling away from the faith like we've never seen before. And we're reaping what we've sown as a church because churches have not really gone to the point of discipleship. We don't even do a good job of leading people to Jesus, but even when we do that, we don't do anything about that at that point to disciple those people. Therefore, we're a mile wide and an inch deep and let people just have one little thing go wrong and whatever, they flee the faith like crazy. We have people bouncing from church to church to church because they think the church ought to be perfect. Somehow, somebody told us a long t time ago that God's job is to make us happy. And do you know that God's job is not to make you happy? God's job is to make you holy, and there's a radical difference between the two of those things. And so I share with you last week, if we're going to start this journey together, the first thing we're going to do is build a strong foundation. The first, the G underneath that, we talked about being grounded in God's Word and grounded in the things of God. That's so important that you do that. If you're going to endure to the end, you better build something that's real. The foundation of anything in this world, certainly a building, is the most important component of that building. If that is not right, nothing else will be right. And so we're never going to finish this journey the way God has called us to if we don't have a firm foundation. We need to be grounded in God's Word and grounded in the things of God. Today we come to the E which, I mean, I told y'all how I do this, but the word that God put on my heart to talk about today is the word excellence. Refusing, listen to me, refusing to settle. It seems like today we're living in a time when people just settle for whatever, right? You meet people in the body of Christ that came, I meet them all the time and I talk to them, how do you know that you're a Christian? Well, I got baptized when I was a kid. That's great. There's nothing wrong with you getting baptized when you're a kid, but what happened beyond that? Well, you know, I'm a member of such and such church, or I'm the third or fourth generation of members of certain church. That's great. I'm glad that you're a member of a church. 
But what does that have to do with salvation? You can be a member of a church and get baptized in every baptistry and stream in this world and be as lost as a goose. What does that have to do with anything? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we're going to be known by our fruit. Notice this. We don't get saved because of our good fruit, our good deeds. But when we do get saved, something changes in our life and the whole world can see as clearly as you can look at an apple tree and an orange tree and tell the difference by the fruit. We should look different from this world because of the difference that Jesus has made in our hearts. And yet it seems like people just want a melody in. It's amazing to me the people that, listen to this, there are people walking around this earth right now that say, I said a prayer when I was a kid and I got baptized, and I really don't need the church right now, but when my life is over, I plan to go to heaven one day and be with believers for eternity and worship Jesus, yet I don't have time to do that right now. How ridiculous is that? And I'm not, a, I'm not espousing for five seconds a works-based salvation. I'm saying if you've really been saved, something radically will change in you, and you'll not be the same person. The old will pass away, and all things will become new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And so excellence. Isn't it amazing the people in this world today that put their best efforts, their first fruits into things that don't even matter, into things that ultimately matter one day when we stand before the Lord one day. It's not no matter how much money you made or how big your house was or how much you accumulated or how popular you were, how many followers you had on Instagram. All that is going to matter is what did you do with Jesus. That's all that will matter. And so it should matter to us now. What would happen if the church started doing everything it can possibly do, the church being you and me, everything that we possibly do with excellence for the Lord Jesus Christ? In other words, give the very best we have to God first and let the world have the leftovers. I wonder what would happen if that happened. Philippians is my favorite book of the Bible. I've told you that. Most people that know me could have answered that question if I just said, hey, Phil, what's your favorite book of the Bible? They would have told you it's the book of Philippians. I love Philippians for lots of reasons. Paul is a hero of the faith for me. If you remember, Paul spends his time in Philippi. His church was his favorite church. You know, you can't choose favorites. It'd be like a grandparent saying, well, you know my favorite grandchild. Well, that would be a huge mistake to do that. Don't ever do that. But Paul basically comes out and said, of all the places I went, this church was my favorite. He said over in chapter 4, remember verses 15 and 16, when no other church, all these churches I started, when no other church was there for me, you were there for me. That's Put in parentheses, you're my favorite, right? He writes back to a church. He was there for a brief period of time. He shared the gospel, established a church. Things are going well. Word gets back to that church that Paul's now in prison in Rome, and it really troubled them greatly because they loved their pastor. That was their first pastor. That was their spiritual father. And now he's in prison, and they're concerned about him. And word gets back to Paul. They're concerned. And so he sits down and writes this amazing book, 104 verses of Scripture. Think of this, 104 verses of Scripture written from a Roman dungeon, and he mentioned joy 16 times. I, I've always been flabbergasted by that because if you put me in prison for following Jesus and doing what he asked me to do, and I'm there but for no other reason than just following what God asked me to do, and you gave me a pen and a piece of paper, I would write the biggest pity party you've ever seen in your life. Not Paul. Paul is concerned that they are concerned about him being in prison. And he writes this amazing passage of Scripture we're going to look at in just a minute, but he writes back basically to encourage them to know that things were going well with them and encourage them in that, but also to help them just a little bit more to understand excellence. And so let me read for you a little bit more than I planned on. I think it's important for you to get this whole picture. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, we read these words. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers, 
and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Man, when I, when I think about you, man, I just get, I get excited. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of the particip your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. You're my favorite. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. You're helping me in my time of trouble. You're helping me as I go out and do the gospel. Your cash gifts or whatever you sent to me, food to eat, whatever it is, has helped further the gospel, he says, which is so important. Verse 8, for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then these words, in this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But don't stop. Stay with me just a little longer. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. I know you heard I'm in prison, but don't worry about me. God's using that as well. Who in the world writes like that? Verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. He says, don't worry about me. I'm in prison right now. I'm probably chained to a guard that just every so many hours they change that guard out. And while he's here with me, he can't go anywhere. And so I just tell him about Jesus. And so what's happened is that they've been rotating these guards. I'm leading all these guards to Jesus. I know I'm in prison, and I know you're worried about me, but God's using it for his glory. Don't worry about me. What an amazing person Paul was. He points them toward excellence. Can I ask you to at least pray about one thing that you could do with your life today? Could you pray about whether you're giving God your very best or whether you're just giving him the leftovers? Are you really pleased with that? Are you really pleased with the effort you're giving toward the Lord? Not again to be saved. We don't work to be saved. We work because we have been saved. We don't do the best we can with excellence for the Lord Jesus Christ that he might save us. We do the best because he has saved us. It's a radical difference between the two. And so let's talk about this passage of Scripture and what he had to say about not mailing it in, but giving him the excellence of our heart. First thing I would say to you this text talks about is strive for excellence in your devotion. Strive for excellence in your devotion. He said in verse 9 again, he says, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. I love these words. The word love there, agape, sacrificial love, the love that we should have for one another. But he wants that to abound. And the word abound is an interesting word, parousieo, parousieo, and it literally means this, overflowing. It's written in what's called the perfect tense, which means it's a continual process. And if I had time, I maybe could have gone and done this today, but imagine the difference between someone taking a pitcher of water and putting a cup here and just dousing it with the water and it overflowing. That's not what this is talking about. 
It's talking about a continual process. Imagine with me the word picture of someone with a cup and a pitcher of water, and they patiently and carefully pour every drop until it gets all the way to the top, and then just keep patiently pouring, and it overflows, and it overflows, and it overflows. Are you with me? That's the picture of this word. He says, I want the love that you have one for another and for the world to be a continual process that it overflows and it continually overflows. It's a process that goes on and on. Not that you love them just in these months or you love them in these times or you love them if they're these kinds of people. You love and it just overflows. It just gets all over everything you can imagine. That's the word picture, this word. My prayer is that this church would always be the church that it is now. You know what? I don't care if we have the largest steeple or no steeple. I don't care if we have the biggest building or no building. What I really care about is this church having the largest heart in Cleveland, Tennessee. That's all I really care about. I believe that people are starving to find a church of people that really do care. They don't care because you make so much money. They just care. They don't care because you drive certain kinds of cars. They just care. They don't care because you wear certain kinds of clothes. They just care. They don't care whether you live in a house or a mobile home or you're homeless. It just doesn't matter if you're a person. You're in the people business, and we love you. I talk about this in the new members class. Last week we had the privilege. I, I stayed, what we're here at about 5 o'clock. Right after church we just dove in the cafe. We ate pizza and we had a big time. We took bathroom breaks every now and then. And, and you heard me tell the story in there, what I really think this church ought to be. This ought to be a church, again, that exists for those that are not here just yet. May we always be that. For whatever reason, for the last 20 years, the people that know me, when they meet someone that wants to plant a church, they send them my way. I don't know why. It's like these little puppy dogs get sent to me. I really feel like God start, told me to start a church. That's great. Let me help you. And it's amazing the way they bring me their list of things they think they need to start a church. One personal friend of mine brought me his list, and on there was we need these many laptop computers, and we need this server, and we need this sound equipment, and we need these lights, and we need this and this and this, and we need this place to meet. And I remember looking at him, and we were good enough friends that I, I didn't laugh in his face, but I really wanted to. I said, my brother, our church has been in existence for 10 years. We don't own any servers. We don't have half of the stuff that you think you need to start a church. And so, guys, we did this 20 years ago, but if we wanted to start again, you know how we start a church? You know, the greatest need of a church is not a place to meet. It's not a bunch of money. We certainly didn't have a lot of money when we started this church. We still don't always have a lot of money. The point is simply this. What you need is people. Amen. We've been in business for 20 years now, God's business. You know what our greatest need is today? Not a bigger building, though we've run out of space. Come to our church on a Wednesday and Sunday night. It's ridiculous what we do. We got people meeting over in the corner. There are four groups that meet in this room in the corners because we have nowhere else to go. That's great. One day God will solve that problem. But you know what our greatest need today is? We're still in the people business. We're going to be in the people business 20 years from now and 200 years from now. As long as this church exists, we ought to never lose sight that we're in the people business. Not to just go get people for people's sake, but to go love people into the kingdom of God. Oh, in the New Testament, they saw these people being persecuted and made fun of. And they said, but look how they love one another. And I would pray that people would look from the distance and say, you know what I love about that church? Those people just love one another. You walked into a place today that we don't care if you have a car or no car, if you rode your bicycle or you walked today. Who cares? We just love you. Warts and all, because we all have them. When we all fall short, there's no perfect people here. We just love each other and care for one another. And when you're in the ditch, I'm going to be there to help you out of that ditch. And when I'm in the ditch, you're going to help me out of the ditch because we love one another. Let that abound, he says. Let it overflow. May the overflow of our church always be that we are a loving, 
bunch of people. Not perfect people, but just people that love. Number two, he prayed that their knowledge may be abundant. Again, the text goes on and says this, and I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge, he says. The word knowledge there is a very common word in Scripture. We talk about it all the epinosis. It literally means clear and exact. This is not the knowledge you learn from just reading books. This is not the knowledge you go to the library and read all the volumes that are there and learn about this and learn about that and get all your technical... No. This is the knowledge you learn from your experience of walking with Jesus. You know, some things you can't learn in a book. You got to learn by walking in those things. When you take the, the, what's on the page and you apply it to your life and you walk in it, that's what we're talking about. The knowledge that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In my Bible, it's just a few pages. If you want to turn over, turn to Colossians chapter 1 real quick. It's just a few pages over for you. In Colossians chapter 1, we read these words. This is so good. Look, at, look with me at verses 9 and 10 of Colossians 1. This is so good. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to know God's will and walk in that, right? Verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You're in the army now. You're in, you're in seminary now, and every day of our lives as we walk with Jesus and we trust him like he asked us to, and we learn of his faithfulness and his unbelievable consistency in our life, we grow in our knowledge of who he is. It's not in the knowledge of this world, it's in the knowledge of who he is. Our faith is boosted, and it's grown in its strength by the way we trust in him and walk with him. I've been following Jesus for a couple of days. I'm 60 years old, so that means for 49 years I've known the Lord Jesus Christ. I know him better today than I knew him yesterday. I know him better today than I knew him many years ago. I've learned to know him and trust him by walking with him and trusting the things he said he would do in, his, in, in my life, haven't you? And if you haven't, you need to start doing that. He wants you to have that kind of knowledge. And he says in his church, he wants it to be abundant. He wants it to be everywhere. May we grow in our knowledge of him and his will. And then number three, he prayed that they would, their discernment would be applied. He goes on to say in the end of the verse again, he says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Discernment's closer related to the word wisdom. It's being able to take what you know and apply it properly in the right setting. There are people in this world that don't know how to do that. They have all the book knowledge in the world. They just don't know what to do with it. He says, in my church, I want you to have discernment, the ability to take what I've taught you and walk that out in this life. So key and so important that we know how to apply that. Discernment here is asystheus. Asystheus, it means knowledge based on experience. That's all that means. What is the knowledge that you have about the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to your experience in walking it out, trusting him when everybody else chooses not to? Simply being able to take the knowledge that you have and apply it properly in the proper setting. So first and foremost, we need to strive. We need to strive, listen to me, to honor him in every way we possibly can with our devotion. Strive for excellence in your devotion. Number two, strive for, now, no one's going to like this one, but strive, <laughs> strive, second of all, for excellence in your discipline in your discipline. No one likes discipline, it seems like, but it's so key. Look at verse 10. So that you may approve the things that are excellent 
in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. Some interesting words there. The word approved there literally means to soul search, basically. It's to look inward. What if we lived our lives on a constant basis where we're evaluating? If you're in a business in any kind, it's important to evaluate where you are. It's important for churches occasionally to stop and go, is that really effective? Can we look at and see if that's being effective and doing what we're trying to do? And if it's not, let's find something else to do. It's a wise thing to do that in business to do that. But what about as an individual person? What if you were to regularly even make an appointment with the Lord to ask him to search you? Psalm 139. Search me, try me, see, is there any wickedness in me? Search me, God, for the places I just have forgotten about or I've overlooked. God, purify me. What if we were constantly asking God to probe us? That's what this word really means, to approve, to make sure that my life is where it needs to be so that God can honor me. I told you I played basketball and in high school, and I was a really good basketball player, but I was in a team situation where the coach's son had my position, and he got to play, and I literally could have beat him with my right hand tied behind my back. And it was tough to sit on that bench many times and sit there and just know that you could do better than that guy's doing. And oh, what a wonderful thing it was on occasion the coach would look down the bench and go, Griffin, get in there, when you knew you should have been in there to begin with. It's a tough thing to ride the bench. Listen, many of us as Christians, because we're not evaluating where we are with the Lord Jesus Christ, have rendered ourselves to ride the bench. He won't use rebellious people. Did you know that? He won't use people that know what is wrong and yet live in that. He won't do it. He uses clean vessels. And only he can clean us up. I get that. But we need to be constantly evaluating ourselves. God, am I where I need to be with you? I want to be useful to you. I don't want to be on the bench I pray every day of my life, God, if there's anything in me that separates me from you, please remove it. If it's pride, if it's ego, if it's water, please remove it, God, because I want to be useful in your kingdom. And so that's to approve, to strive for excellence in our discipline. Write three things down, number one, or two things down, excuse me. Live a genuine life. Live a genuine life so that you may approve the things that are excellent, listen to this, in order to be sincere. Often people come to me and they say, and listen to me, I'm not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination, but they say, you're different than most pastors I meet. <laughs> and you know why? The people that know me well, Mike Garen sitting on the front row down here, the people that have known me for 20 plus years, uh, my best friend Jerry Stout, I've heard him say this to somebody one day, he said, you know what I like about Phil? He's the same person when he was in the pulpit or if we're out on the boat. It doesn't matter. He's just the same person. People often come to our church. You may be here for the very first time today, and here's what I have to say to you. What you see is what you get. We're not trying to perform for anybody, but how many people, and don't call names, but how many of you know when you watch a pastor, he's plastic, he's phony, he's reading from a teleprompter, there's nothing genuine about him. Listen to me. This is not about a show, and it's not about me, and it's not about a pastor. It's about him. That's all it's about. Praise God for the privilege that I get to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but please don't look at me. Please look at him. Please look at him. Let me help the Holy Spirit point the attention to who he is. Live a genuine life. Be who he called you to be, not your interpretation of somebody else. Or I, I know a lot of preacher boys say, I want to be just like Adrian Rogers. I want to be just like, no, why don't you just be you? God's called you to be you. And so be the person he's called you to be. Be a genuine person. The word sincere it's really an interesting word. It, it comes from two Greek words. The first one is um, Eli, Eli, which literally means shining splendor of the sun. Now, keep that in your mind. We're talking about what does it mean to be sincere. 
The first word again, shining splendor of the sun. The second word is the word crines. And it literally means pure and free from spot. Now think about that. Many years ago, I went to Bethlehem Baptist Church to be the pastor. And I'll never, it was the first time it had happened in my ministry. The, the pulpit committee said, you know, we want you to be our pastor. We're all good with that. We want you to come. But can we check your credit and can we do a background check on you? And this is a lot of years ago. This is like uh, 25 plus years ago. I'd never been asked that before. And I remember exactly what I said to them. Please do. Because I really believe the farther you dig into my past, the more you'll want me to be your pastor. I meant that. I wanted you to see everything about me. I've never been arrested. I knew that, 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 that there's no crime in my past. I knew that when I was like anybody else, probably had a little bit of debt, but I had a really good credit score, right? So please do that. Are you willing to go before the Lord and say, God, search me that way? Check me. Check my background. To be a sincere person, again, listen to this, shining splendor of the sun, pure, free from spot. In other words, when you put it under the, the microscope and you put the light on it, it shows the reality of who it is. Most of you don't know this, but my wife, most of the time that we dated, she worked at jewelry stores. She has an affection. My wife doesn't really have an affection for a lot of things, but she really likes jewelry. She does. And that's okay. I've been in a few jewelry stores raising three daughters. Can I get an amen from the congregation? That's unbelievable. But anyway, I learned something years ago from a dear friend of my dad's that said the way to really see a diamond for what it really is is not in the light, but it's actually in the darkness. Notice when you go to the mall next time, the, the brightest stores in any mall in the United States are the what? The jewelry stores. You know why? Because it hides imperfections. You really want to see a diamond, by the way, get in a dark room and light a candle and look at it, and it shows the impurities. Think about that. And so to be put under the spotlight, he says, God, put me under the spotlight. Let my life be so that when they put the spotlight on it, they can't even see anything that's wrong. Are you willing to be that kind of person? Be a sincere person, he says, a genuine life. Number two, live a guilt-free life. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to live a guilt-free life. Look what it says in the rest of the text. It says again, in order to be sincere and blameless. Blameless, interesting word. Aproskopos, aproskopos, not falling or stumbling. Every person in this room needs to hear this right now. There's a radical difference between being a person who falls down every day, which, by the way, is every person in this room. We fall short of God's glory every single day. Don't give me this hogwash. Y'all remember years ago I met a guy, he's a Church of God guy in town. He told me, I haven't sinned in five years. I said, sir, you just did. I'd never met the man in my life, but I've looked right in his face and said, yes, you did, because you just did. You just lied. A human being can't go, I don't believe, five minutes without thinking something they shouldn't think, saying something they shouldn't say, or doing something we should not do. We just do. There's a radical difference between being that person who falls short, who tells a lie, or maybe, you know, does something that's, you know, to think something about somebody they shouldn't think, or they say something they shouldn't say, and living in rebellion against the Spirit of God. To run around on your wife constantly and have all these other people. That, that, you understand the difference between that guy and the guy over here that just falls short that needs God's help every day. If you can live in rebellion against the Spirit of God for a length of time and the Holy Spirit doesn't beat you up over that, you are not saved, I'm telling you. The more sensitive you come to personal sin, the closer you get, the more sincere you live your life, you'll find yourself even thinking the wrong thing and the Holy Spirit's already beating you up over it. If that's not happening to you, you need to really check that. That happens to me all the time. Phil, that's not the best way to think about that. 
I still did it. I know I need God's forgiveness, but he checks me on it. If you can live in rebellion against the Spirit of God, the things that thus saith the Lord's in the Bible, and there's nothing in your conscience that says anything, you've never been saved. Because the Holy Spirit will bring those things to your heart. And so that's what it means to be blameless. Not perfect, but one who is not in rebellion against the Spirit of God. Well, there's one last thing and we're done. I love this last point, and that's strive for excellence in your demonstration. He goes on and says this in verse 11. He says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. To strive for excellence in your demonstration. He says to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. I know that you don't care that I tell you these things, but that's written in what's called the perfect passive tense in Greek. And that literally means it's it's something that happened in the past that continues to show results. Isn't that good? Something that happened in the past, but it continues to show results in your life. The Christian life is not about, I've said a prayer at camp when I was a kid and I got baptized, I'm good to go. He says literally in the scriptures, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's an ongoing process in life, right? And so it has a beginning, but you work that out. One day we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're in the process of molding. He's in the process of molding and making us more into the image of his son with the passing of every day, if we'll let him do that. So he says, I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. I want something that happened in your past to continue to bear fruit as it goes forward. Am I the only person in this room that desires strongly, more than ever, the older I get, the more I want to finish well? The older I get, the more I want to honor him with my life. I want to get closer than I've ever been before. And I'm never going to stop that journey. You've truly been saved. The fruit of his life will be in your life. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he gives a list. And by the way, it's not an exhaustive list. It's a representative list. In other words, this isn't all the things that are the fruit of the Spirit. This is some examples to share with you of what it looks like, okay? Let me give you those words. In Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, he says, this is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I may not be the only one in the room that when I got to the one patience, there was a check in my spirit, (laughs) especially when I drive an automobile. Can I ask you a personal question? Do these things elude or come from your life? Do people see these things in your life? Are these things obvious in your life? I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, something that started but continues. Love, joy. Listen to me. I know some Christians that are a poor example for Jesus because they're depressed all the time and they're, they're mad all the time or they're sad all the time. Or what? Listen to me. There's a place in our lives for all that stuff, but that's not where we live. If you have nothing this world can offer you, but you have Jesus, you have more than a million reasons to be filled with joy. Paul wrote these very words from a dungeon, but his mind was on the joy that he had in Christ regardless of his circumstances. You can have that too. How about peace? That's a tough one right now. I listen to the young people in my life. My daughter Faith, I listen to her when she talks right now. I know she's seeing a different world than I saw. And I don't fault her 
for being a little bit worried because I'm probably just as worried as she is about those things. How about patience? I wanted to get my oil changed on Friday after our men's breakfast. I, I do my own service on my cars. I can do a pretty good bit of that kind of stuff. But you know what? I've been working for six months in my house, and I was tired, and I got an $18 off coupon, and I said, doggone it, I'm just going to let somebody else change my oil this time. $18 off, right? So I drive up to Athens where this place is, and I get in line, just two cars in front of me. This happened to me just on Friday as we talk about patience. <laughs> well, the lane on the left, about three cars went through there. I'm still sitting there, hadn't moved yet. Well, finally, the car left, and a big truck in front of me went inside, and I'm like, well, this won't be much longer, because they, they came out and said it shouldn't be more than like 30 minutes. An hour later, one solid hour later, that truck was still in front of me, and the guy walks over the manager and says, I'm really sorry, sir. I really am. Uh, did you have a coupon today? I said, I do. I have the $18. He said, that's great. He said, I'm going I'm to bump that up to $20 off instead of $18. I went... I'm trying to be patient here, but you're making me want to hit you in the mouth. <laughs> Do what? So he says, the lady next to you in the minivan, she's got somewhere else to be, and would it be possible to let her go in front of you? Or we'll move all these cars and let you go. You know what I did? I said, sir, I'll be glad to let her go. I wanted to be patient. But that car went through. And another car went through before I ever finally got in there. And the guy walked up to the window, and I said, i got to be honest with you, buddy. I'm trying to be really patient. I had things to do today, too. But two more dollars off? Are you kidding me? He said, you know what? I'm going to give you 20 more dollars off. So I said, now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> so I was almost glad I was patient. But old changes are way too expensive. I'm going back to doing them myself. With $40 off, it was still $100. So I'm, I'm done. So anyway... Patience is hard for me. It's maybe hard for you too. But what they need to see is that when your waitress didn't just get that food out to you immediately, not some person that claims to be a believer, especially if you prayed with them before the meal started and then you're hassling about stuff, to be ultra patient. Now, maybe you don't give them a $25 tip or whatever because of that. Maybe you only give them the 15%. Tracy always gets, I don't care how bad it is, I'm going to give you 15% because they should do that for a living. But the point is, what the world really needs to see right now are people like you and like me that love Jesus and choose patience when it's not the easy thing. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. How many times do you hear this person say, well, I'm a really strong Christian, but they're everything but faithful. Just in the last few weeks, the correspondence from you to me about situations you're dealing with in your life of people that claim to be really good Christians but are living everything except that before the world. It gives a bad name not to them, it gives a bad name to the Lord Jesus Christ. How about gentleness? When's the last time you cried with somebody? I didn't say prayed with somebody. When's the last time you cried with somebody? And self-control, which we don't need to go there. There's a whole other sermon there, right? So what if what if I made the decision and you made the decision today as it comes to the things that associate themselves with my Savior, whether that be the church or my personal faith or, or my testimony or my work in this world for him, I decided I'm going to give the very best I have for that first and the world can have the rest. What if I made that decision? 
what if I cared enough about my devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ that I gave him the first fruits of my life? Not I prayed over all three meals today. Hey, hey, hey. But I made an appointment with God every day just to talk to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in that time, I didn't spend the exhaustive part of that time actually asking for anything, but I really just talked to him about how much I appreciated how good he was to me and how faithful he had been to me. And I praise your holy name, God, for your goodness. You have been so kind to me. What if I spent some time just talking to my daddy about how great he is? Instead of bringing some list of all this stuff that I need, what if my devotion life was done with excellence? What if I got more discipline about my life? I know nobody likes to talk about discipline, but it's important. You can't live the Christian life without a little bit of discipline in your life. I mean, when's the last time that you made a priority about spending some time in God's Word or spending some time in prayer or, or making some time out of your schedule to go and do something for the kingdom? What if you just made a priority about being faithful to show up for church or for your small group or whatever? It became a priority in your life. At the drop of a dime, if somebody called and said, hey, let's go to the movies, you said, I'll just blow off church. What if you blew off the movie theater and decided to go to church? Not because it was the right thing to do, but because you love Jesus a whole bunch. What if you got to the next step and you started demonstrating your love for him the way he demonstrated his love for you? For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ willingly died for us. What if we demonstrate our love toward him by making him the priority of our life? Not just with our lips, but with our lives. We're talking about transforming our thought process as a church to build up every generation in this church. From the youngest to the oldest, to build true disciples that when the tough times come and the wind and the waves come, we will endure because we built this whole thing on the foundation of who he is. Ground yourself in him and in his word. Your identity does not come from the mistakes that you make. Your identity comes from a savior who loved you so much that he bought you with his blood. You are precious to him. And he desires more than anything in the world, a personal, one-on-one, -on -one, genuine relationship with him, not some fake and phony religious thing. Oh, he loves you. There's nothing left he can do to prove that to you. He's already done it. What if that became more important to us? What if we were more concerned about our relationship with him than we are how many followers we have on Instagram? Or I posted something on the internet and no one commented. What if he was more important? What if he was paramount? What if he really was the King of kings and Lord of lords that sat on the heart of your life? What if we refused to settle? God, forgive me and forgive us for the times that we just settled. We melted in. Our heart was not in it. For the times we just went through the routine because it was the right thing to do, or we read our Bible because it was really a, the right thing to do, or I shared my faith because that's what God wanted me to do. Forgive us when the motive, God, was not pure. 
forget us when we just went through the motions. God, I pray for myself as I pray for every person that can hear my voice right now, those that will listen on radio and are listening all over this world, God, on the Internet. Help us, God, to put you first in our lives, not just in our thoughts, not just with our words, but with our lives. Teach us, God, not just to ground ourselves in you and your word, but to seek for excellence in all that we do. May we be a church, God, that is known that from the mountaintops it would be shouted. That's a church that truly does love the way that Jesus calls us to love. Help us be disciplined people, God, in the faith. So disciplined that when that thing that comes along to disrupt, it will stick out like a sore thumb. And help us, God, not because it's the right thing to do, but naturally out of the overflow of our hearts and lives to demonstrate the fruitfulness of your spirit just by the way that we live. Help us, God, be excellent. Lord, I don't know what needs to happen right now. I wish I was that smart. I'm not. But I know this, you're here and you care. And every person in this room, God, is near and dear to you. You know every need that they have. You know every desire in their heart. God, I would only ask you now to speak to their heart and give them direction. Give them courage. Give them boldness, God, to step out and do what you've called them to do. Help us, God. Help us, we pray.